0: Praise the Lord. Well, let's get our Bibles out if you've got one. If you don't have one, we've certainly, we're going to put those scriptures on the screen for you. If you have one at home, bring it. Uh, it's going to be a blessing to you for you to see it in your own Bible and know that we didn't make this stuff up. Um, go back and check it for yourself. Praise the Lord. I want you to open to the, back to the First Corinthians 3. A couple of weeks ago we were there, and uh, we've been really talking about you know the, the beautiful body of Christ and how we're one heart, one soul, and God's knit us together, and what does that mean? You know, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of object lessons in the Bible about the church and about how we're supposed to function, and two of the big ones as we wrap up this series, and it's been a long series, but it's been a long series for a reason, this is foundational to who we are. You know, the foundation of your Christian walk is your relationship with Jesus, isn't that right? You'd believe that, right? You wouldn't believe that the foundation for your Christian walk is being part of a club or, or, or feeling like you can check a box on a religion form. You know, the, the foundation of who you are is your relationship with Jesus. And one of the things we need to understand is part of our relationship with Jesus is the relationship with all of him. Not just part of him, but all of him. And so if he says, the church is my body... Then in order to have a real relationship with Jesus, now thank God he met us where we were. He he could meet you on an island. He could meet you in a canoe. He could draw you in the middle of a desert. he, He could do that, all of that. And yet, to really have a relationship with Christ, how can we have that relationship without having a place in his body? He didn't just call you into a relationship with the Father. He called you into a relationship with the family right? Because we have one father, then we ha- are part of the same family. Amen. So being part of a family, that's a big deal to God. In fact, we call it the kingdom, right? It's the kingdom, but the kingdom is a family business. The kingdom is family. And so you weren't called to the kingdom as yet another uh, serf, as another, you know, f- you know, some, some guy just who works there on part-time or on the weekends. You were called in as sons and daughters of the king. That's your place in the kingdom. And that changes things, doesn't it? We, we talk a lot about now that I'm a, I'm, I'm a believer, now that I'm a Christian, now that I'm a follower of Jesus, now that I've been born again, I have a father. I have a father. I have a father. I have a father. But you know that now that you have a father, it's just as real to you, it should be, that you have brothers and sisters. And so in the scripture, we talk about family. And then he talks about two other things that really show up over and over again. And one is a building and one is a body. And and it's just two different ways to tell the same story. He's talking about the fact that we're, Part of a building that God is building. And then in other places, he talks about where body parts in a body that's connected to his head. And so uh, we're going to talk about both of those things. Next week, we're going to talk about the body. But today, I want to talk to you about that building, what that looks like. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about in 1 Corinthians 2 how God is saying to his people, There are things you don't know about. There is wisdom that is beyond your ability to grasp. You can't look this up. He said, I have plenty plans for you that nobody knows about. I have my will for you. You could never guess it. You could never come up with it. it. It's so far beyond you. You haven't seen it. It hasn't entered your heart. You haven't heard it. Nobody could convince you of it except the Spirit of God. He, in fact, says, you know, because, you know, so many times we're like, well, God's will is a mystery. We'll never know the will of God. Uh, who could ever know what he's doing? You know, his ways are higher than ours, yeah? But he wants to reveal these things to you. Just because his ways are higher than yours doesn't mean you'll never get it. Now, there's a whole lot of mystery to God. And, 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 and there's a lot of things I still don't get. And it's not because he's hidden them from me. It's because he's hidden them for me. And, and as I get closer and closer to him, the more I understand. I, I, don't, I know I'm not smart enough to understand everything or even a fraction of everything. But he wants to reveal things to his people, yeah? Yeah. But he says, there's no way you're going to get it. He says, the wisest scribes and lawyers and Bible teachers, the wisest people on the planet will never be able to understand this without the Spirit of God. In fact, he says, I've revealed it to babies. I've revealed it to people that don't know any better. I've revealed it to dummies. I've revealed it to to hillbillies. I've revealed it to people that shouldn't have got this. Well, come on, that's, that's my translation of 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, where he says, there were not many noble among you. That's code for you're a bunch of hicks, and God still used you. Well, I mean, what do you call a hick? I don't know. Can I say there's not too many fancy among you is what he said to the Corinthians? You're not the folks everybody looks to and says, oh, yeah, of course they know all the answers. He says, God picked weak people. He picked not so intelligent people. And you might say, well, please don't talk about me that way. You you know, can I be one of the intelligent people that God called? Yeah, but compared to God, we're all like that. Do you know what I mean? You could be the wisest, smartest guy in the room, and then compared to God, you don't You don't measure up that way. And so what he does is he doesn't say, I'm glad you're smart. Teach the rest of these people. He says, can you realize that you need a whole lot of help? And I want to be wisdom for you. I want to give you my wisdom. And so the the scripture says that he's got things he wants to reveal to his people by his spirit. Because he says, who knows your heart? Like, who knows what's going on in your head? Except your own heart. You know, you know yourself. You know what you're thinking. You know, we all hate to be misunderstood. We all hate when someone thinks we're thinking something that we're not or, or have intentions that are wrong. You know, we hate to be misunderstood. And so he's saying, who understands you better than, better than yourself? You know what's in your own heart. You know what's in your own head. And he says, it's the same way with God. Who knows the thoughts of God? Who knows the will of God? Who knows the plans of God except for the spirit of God? And then he goes on and he says, and that's the spirit he gave us so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Like he wants you to know these things. That's really cool. And he gets them all pumped up. And he says, "Here's he says we've got to communicate these things. And the trick is, he says, you can't communicate spiritual things in, in a worldly way. You know what I mean? Like he says, we're talking deep spiritual stuff. So he says, we've got to use spiritual thoughts put into spiritual words to spiritual people. Did you know when you came to church, God's calling you to a different level? When you came this morning, God's saying, can you think spiritually for a second? And we go, I don't know what that means. Think spiritually, Um, think like a ghost, think like a, we're trying to figure out what think spiritually means. And I really believe that means that you're going to have to be willing to shut, you know, just turn off your, your regular way of seeing the world and allow God to show you how he sees the world for a minute. And it's going to be weird, right? It's going to be a little bit weird to see things God's ways because they're so much higher than, than everyone else's ways. It's a totally different perspective. But he says, we, he says, we're spiritual people, and we use spiritual thoughts in spiritual words, and we speak to spiritual people. And he says, that's how you're going to know some deep things that you couldn't have figured out yourself. That's how you're going to know the will of God for your life. That's how you're going to know what God's doing that you just couldn't get, is because he wants to reveal these things to you. And then he takes them on this roller coaster where they've gone up to the height, and then they go right back down because he says, but I couldn't talk to you as spiritual people. I had to talk to you as fleshly people. He says, I couldn't talk to you as mature people. I had to talk to you like babies. And he he doesn't say, I had to talk to you like babies because you guys didn't go to the right classes. He didn't say, I gave you homework and you didn't read it. No, he says, "I, I had to talk to you like babies because you're still acting fleshly. You're still fighting amongst yourself. You're still dividing into your little tribes of what preacher you like the best and, and what your favorite books are. And these are the giftings I prefer. And, and you've split yourself up. You've caused division. He says, you're acting like babies. I want to ask you just a quick question. And I don't want you to answer it out loud, okay? So, because it'd just be chaos. But in your own mind, just, just a quick question. What are the signs to you of a mature believer? What, what are the signs to you that someone's mature in the faith? Like, what are you looking for? Some of us are looking for, well, they have answers. They've, they've been walking it through, so they figured out some things, right? That's what we hope. Someone who's mature would have walked through it. They've got some answers that I don't have, right? But you know the Pharisees had more answers than anybody. And did you know most of the time they had the right answers? They just had no wisdom to apply it? Jesus actually said in a conversation with a bunch of people, he said, you know, you should do what the Pharisees tell you to do. Just don't do what they do. Isn't that weird? Doesn't that that just like shake your head for a minute? That Jesus actually said the Pharisees are pretty good preachers. They're pretty good. they've They've got most of the right answers. They just have no idea what they mean. So they can tell you where the Messiah is going to be born. They just haven't noticed I'm right here. They could tell you like a hundred different prophecies I'm supposed to fulfill, but when I fulfill them, they don't recognize I'm here. They can tell you all about God's love through the scripture, but they don't know how to show it. They can tell you how to be a giving person, but they haven't figured out what that means. So he says, you know, they know the answers, but they're, they're not who they think they are. The scripture tells us here as we if we're reading 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 it tells us that a mature believer right what what made them babies They're still jealous, they're still fighting, they're still in strife. So maybe a mature believer isn't someone that has all the answers. Maybe a mature believer isn't someone that's just, you know, a little smarter than the rest of us. Maybe a mature believer is somebody that has learned how to be part of a body, been part of the temple of God, has learned how to let God, let Jesus work through them and love through them in such a way that they actually bring unity. They actually cause unity rather than causing division. I can tell you, as a pastor, and I'm not just saying this because it makes my job easier. Listen, my, my job is easier when everybody gets along. Trust me. Right? I don't want to be the uh, religious referee. That's not my job. However, I'm not saying this so you can make my job easier. I'm telling you the truth. What we're looking for in a mature believer is somebody who doesn't just think about themselves. What I'm looking for in a mature believer is someone who exhibits Christ-like qualities. And it's harder to offend than everybody else. You know that? That's one that's a huge sign of a mature believer. They're harder to offend. It's harder to tick them off. Why? Is it just because they're so mellow? It's just because they like they just have that zen quality. No, it's because it's because Christ. The, the love of God is working and the spirit of God is driving them. They're, they're, they've learned not to react to people as much as to react to God. I'm looking for somebody that knows how to help other people find their place in the body. Do you know what I'm saying? Somebody that's looking around, finding the person that doesn't fit and saying, hey, why is this person being pushed to the outside? You know, mature believer, listen, you know, when you're a kid and you show up to a birthday party, you don't care if everybody else gets a hot dog. You don't care if everybody else gets pizza or cake. You just care that you get it, right? That's all you care about is, I mean, you, when, when, when they say it's pizza time and you just run and you're pushing people out of the way and you're getting in line and, you know, there's like three pizzas back there, but you're still saying, you know, I want one, I want one, I want this, I want cheese, I want pepperoni, I want pineapple, which God help you, I don't know why you want that, but you want that. <laughs> It doesn't belong in a pizza. Sorry, Tia, it doesn't belong in a pizza. No, I'm preaching I have a pulpit. It's wrong. And you need to repent and come to Jesus today. Whatever, you're just worried that you get pizza, right? Did you ever notice what the parents do at a birthday party? Even if the parents aren't running the birthday party, what are they doing? They're looking around making sure every kid's got food. You know, they're always looking. They're making sure everybody's taken care of. It. If a kid starts crying, they don't just say, that's not my problem. The nearest parent is helping them. You know, and, and, and it's because they've grown up. And, you know, mature believers is very similar. They're looking around. They're going, Hey. Who's not fitting? Who's, who's struggling right now? Who needs help right now? Who, who's somebody that, that's got something in them they don't even recognize and they need someone to speak into their life and say, I see something in you. That's, these are some things that will come out of a mature believer. That's the wisdom we talked about from James. Remember, he says, who here is wise and understanding among you? Now, you know in James, a guy like James, if you ever read his letter, you know you're smart enough not to lift your hand when he asks that question he's the kind of guest speaker that, we, that if we invited here, he would ask that question, you'd raise your hand, and he'd rail into you. Like, why do you think you're that person? He says, who here is so wise and understanding? And he goes, then show it by your deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. And then he starts talking about peace and how, this, how the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know what he's saying? Because he says the wisdom from the world is, is fleshly, it's, it's jealous, it's, it's, it's backbiting. It's, and he says it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. But he says the wisdom that's from God is peaceable, it's reasonable, it's gentle. He says it'll bring peace to the situation. So he says if, if you want to show that you're wise and understanding and you're real mature, show me. And whether you're making a situation worse by causing more strife and division, or whether you're able to bring the peace of God into a situation. So, all right. So these are some signs of maturity. And I want to read to you as, as um, we pick up from that in 1 Corinthians 3. I just want to hopefully plant some seeds in your head today. Just some thoughts. And, and, and maybe you've had these and you've known this. And thank God. You know, I know a lot of things that I'm still not doing. So when I hear the word... If it's a word from God, and listen, we're reading the scripture here. It's a word from God. If it's a word from God, God's able to give you the power to do it. Right? When Jesus says, be healed, you don't have to make yourself healed. You just have to believe he's able to heal you. Right? So so whatever God says to us today, you don't have to make it happen. You just have to agree with God and let him do that work in you. In 1 Corinthians 3, we talked about, he's talking about you're you're picking your favorites. You're picking your favorite preachers. You're picking, you're, you're dividing yourself by The style you like. How many of you know that somebody who's got a real good teaching gift, that's what God's working in you. If you had your way when you're first starting out, you just want want teachers to talk to you the whole time. I just want to hear from teachers. That's what I like. You know, you're, you're in a prophetic flow. You just want to hear prophets all the time. You, if you're, you know, if you're, you know, that apostolic, let's go out and do it, you know. You want those people. If you're an evangelist, you want evangelists, right? That's, that's because we gravitate towards something that validates us. And that's kind of, that's why we, we need to hear all these voices in the church. However, as you grow up, your palate matures. You realize that you don't need just one thing in your life. You need a balanced diet. And so you, you, don't, you don't divide based on saying, well, this is my favorite, so I'm going to just stay with my favorite. You let God bring balance into your life. He says at the end of the day, we are all just servants of God. And then he says this in 1 Corinthians 3.8, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one that's laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anybody builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones... Even wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he's built on it remains, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. You know, I'm first to tell you that Christ will build his church. Amen? Jesus will build his church. That's not my job. That's his job. However, how does Jesus do most things on this earth? Right? We all believe Jesus is the healer, yeah? Yeah. But if somebody came to you and says, I need to be healed, what would you do? You'd pray for them. You'd lay their hands on them, right? Because why? Because Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. In my name. So you're doing it because this is is my work. It's on my credit card. But you're the one using it, right? In my name, you lay hands on the sick. So... We believe that, listen, it's not my job to build his church. It's his job to build his church. However, it seems to me from what we just read that he's going to use people to do it. Right? Because what did Paul say? As a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. What does he tell you the foundation is? Christ. Christ is the foundation. And he says, we got to be careful how we build on that foundation. So what's he saying? Is is Jesus building his church? Yeah, but he's using people to do it. Then he says, you know, we just kind of assume and we take this fatalistic attitude that if God wants to build it this way, he'll build it this way. But he actually goes and says, if you build it with the wrong materials or on the wrong foundation, it'll go up and it'll look like a nice building until fire comes. Now, I used to think that this was just like judgment day. We all stand before the Lord, and he goes, let's test your work. (laughs) Oh, it burned up. Oh, this one remained. But, you know, I've come to believe that that test of fire actually comes throughout the course of life. It gets tested, right? Jesus said that whatever he plants into the field, the seed that's sown into the hearts, he says, what does he say? He says, Satan will come and test it. Satan will come and try to steal it. He says there'll be storms. Remember when he told you to build a house? He said you got to dig down deep and build on a foundation. And he says storms will come. He doesn't say if you're doing something wrong, there might be a storm. He doesn't say if you're not paying attention, a storm will come. He says storms will come guaranteed. There's no way that you can build a house that's not going to experience a storm. There's no way that there's a church on this planet that's not going to go through some storms and go through some fire. There's not a believer in the world unless they're like the thief on the cross and got saved right before they died. There's not a believer on the planet that's going to go through their life and not experience storms and fire and all of that stuff. So he says the day will come when your work will be tested and whether it stands or not, Doesn't really depend on how much money you got in the offering. Whether it stands or not doesn't depend on what your numbers are on a Sunday morning. Whether it stands or not doesn't depend on whether your branding was good. Whether it stands or not is going to depend on what quality of materials you used and what foundation you built on. All right, so that's big. Now he's going to say something that's going to kind of bring this to life. Because, you know, when I was a kid, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to run around in the church. You want to run around after service. You want to run around before service. I just told my mom something that horrified her. I've learned to spread these things out throughout her life. (laughs) Like when she's 90, I'll say, did you know when we were kids we did this? So I, I, want, I want to go easy on her. I want to give her time to digest some things. <laughs> if I tell her one by one, I can make a joke. It goes away. It's all fine. I said, did you know, and she didn't, did you know for like months, we had like a soccer game that took place in the church basement before every Sunday morning service? She said, well, you did not. Yeah. And we were like body checking people into the walls. There'd be like a visitor going down, I think this is the bathrooms, and a ball would zip by their heads. That's really bad, guys. Really bad. Really bad. Can I get an amen? Really bad. Right? Can you imagine coming for the first time? And you're just like, oh, this is a nice, These boys are checking each other into the wall, the ball's zipping by their heads. Finally, one of the ushers found out about it. They came down and says, "You boys can't do this. You you just can't do this." And there's that look on their face. You ever see that look that your parents give you? Like, I can't. Where did you get this idea? Why? What's wrong with you? How did you ever think this was okay? And they said, "You can't do this." And we, had, one of my friends, he said, "Then why why would I want to come to church at all? I mean, like, that's why I come is for the game." he was young his parents dragged him to church okay so what did our parents tell us don't run in the church what did you hear parents telling their kids all the time this is God's house (laughs) right echoing what we're saying (laughs) this is God's house you better not run in God's house but we all have come to know that this building is not God's house Like when we leave, he's not just like, I'm so lonely. I can't wait for them to come back. I wish they would have just left a CD on for me. We're God's house. What did he say? You are God's field, God's building. Now look what he says here. He says in verse 16, Do you not know that you are a temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man thinks you, thinks among you that he's wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again... That the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, that they're useless. So let no man boast in men, for all things belong to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. You belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. I want you to go back to that verse in 16. It says, Don't you know you're a temple of God? Now, here's where we get tricked because there are actually two places in this letter that he calls you a temple. What is a temple? What was a temple to the people that were reading this letter? A temple was a place where they would encounter God. This is where God's presence dwelt. Now, they knew God is everywhere. But they knew this was a sanctuary, a place where we meet with God, a place where God's presence lives, right? And in the Old Testament, there had to be laws and rituals so that people wouldn't die just being in the presence of God because they were sinful and he was holy. This was a, a something to be honored and treated as holy, right? This was a place where his presence was, where his holiness was shown, his glory was felt. This was the temple of God. Now he says, you're a temple. And here's what confuses us because we, we've heard in 1 Corinthians 6 when it says, your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit, right? He says, glorify God in your body. He says, you know, don't, don't, don't be, you know, stepping into these sexual sins because he says your body is holy. This is where the Holy Spirit lives in this body. But in 1 Corinthians 3, it's different. See, 1 Corinthians 6, it's singular. The, the, the verbs, the nouns, they're singular. They're talking about you, your body. You are a temple for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. But in 1 Corinthians 3, it's plural. I wish English had a nice plural for you. You know, my parents are from the south, so we have y'all, right? Some, some of you back east, you say yous. You know, can, can I get you use anything? You know, the French have vous, right? Like, the, the, it helps to have what I guess growing up here, we said you guys, and then you have some girl that goes, I'm not a guy. And you're like, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's the hardest thing when you, when you want to tell a couple that you love them and you're, you're talking to the woman and you go, you know, I just love you guys, you guys, like you plural. <laughs> All right? So if I can just borrow from my southern roots for a second, don't y'all know that y'all are a temple? Right? Don't y'all know y'all are a temple? Right? That God lives in you. Yeah. Now remember what he's, what's he talking about. What's, what's the real point here is that people are dividing. They're, they're going based on what feels better. I, I don't like those people. I don't like what they're into. I prefer these people. They're more my vibe. I, I like these preachers. I don't like those ones. I, I, I would prefer to be, I, I'm more comfortable over here. And he says that's how babies talk. Babies are looking for their comfort. Babies are looking for what makes them feel good. He says you need to grow up. And when you grow up, you realize something. He says, you are a temple, a sanctuary. You are a building that the presence of God lives in. The Spirit of God lives in this building. Not this physical walled building, but us. We're a building that God said, I want to make my home in you. Now, we all know that he lives in us individually but can we agree that he's he's some there's something special about us as a building together? And God says, I want the world to be filled with my presence. I want you to know my presence. I want you to know my glory. I want you to know my love. I want my people to know me. And when Jesus was on the cross, that veil that separated us from his presence was torn in two from top to bottom. There was a tearing of the veil that separated us from God. And he says now, in the Old Testament, he says in those days, I will make my dwelling place amongst my people. In the book of Revelation, he says I will tabernacle amongst, among them, I will put up my tent in the middle of their tents. And he's saying here, you are the temple that I'm going to choose to live in. I'm going to let my, the, the full expression of all that I am live in these breathing stones. And he says, that's why it matters. That's why it's holy. That's why you should never destroy what I built. And he says this, and it's, it's quite shocking. But he says, if anybody destroys my temple, I'll destroy them. He takes it seriously, what he's built. You say, Well, how is God building his temple? He's building his temple by building you and fitting you with another stone, another one on top, and another one underneath, and all around. And this is how he builds his temple: is by putting you in a place where you are surrounded by other bricks, other stones, and you live, you live and learn how to, how to honor all of those bricks around you, because without them, you'd be out of place. Without them, you'd fall apart. We'd like to think we wouldn't. We'd like to think the only thing that matters is Jesus. But how many of you know that you can have a cornerstone and a cornerstone doesn't make a building? A cornerstone defines where the building's going to be. Every stone finds its purpose, finds its alignment based on where that stone is, but... You can't just have a cornerstone. You need other things. God chose to build something, and you're part of it. And I want to read you something in 1 Peter 2 as we come around the back back nine of this. 1 Peter 2 is like one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. I love it. You guys are laughing because I say that a lot, but no, I really do love this. First Peter 2, 1 Peter 2.1 says, therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, you know, that verse deserves more than the 10 seconds I just gave it, and it would do you well to go back through that and make sure that you've put all those things aside. Do you know what I'm saying? Because if you're like me, we've learned as good Christians how to skim, and we, we're, going for, we're going for stats. I read the whole Bible in a year. I read it in six months. I read it in a weekend. You know, we all just want to show. So a lot of times we don't camp where we need to camp. We don't spend time where we need to spend time. How many of you know when you go to the dentist, you're not trying to set a time record? Right? You don't say, hey, buddy, just make this happen as fast as you can. Let's see how fast we can do it. No, you want him to do a thorough job or her, a thorough job. You want to do it right. And when I read, put aside all of this, I think that means there's layers, right? When I first came to Jesus, you know, when you first came to Jesus, there's, there's some obvious stuff. But, you know, as you grow, you, he, he's so loving that he doesn't bombard you with everything at once. Just like I said with my mom, I didn't tell her everything at once. As you grow, he builds things onto you. And, and, you know, the deeper you go with Jesus, the more you dig up stuff that you didn't know was there. The rocks are still there. There's roots still there that need to be dealt with but he's so faithful to deal with them. He says, putting aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him, as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So he says, we're living stones. We're, we're, we're breathing, living, thinking stones that are being built up into a spiritual house. And, and what happens in the house? It says there's a holy priesthood. Well, we've said this before, but the Bible tells us that we're the priesthood. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a priest? Some of you have these images of like a guy dressed in weird clothes that speaks in Latin. Well, what is a priest in the Old Testament? A priest was somebody that would offer sacrifices to the Lord, that 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 worship God on behalf of the people, but also uh, represented God to the people. And and in this situation, what he's really talking about is offering sacrifices to God, is offering worship to God. So your worship to God is not just the songs we sing, it's not just the money you put in the offering, it's your life. So that brings us to the next part. He says, you're the stones that build a house. And inside the house, there's priests. We're the priests that offer spiritual sacrifices. Well, we're also the spiritual sacrifices. Let me just ask you this question. We all want to do something for the Lord. I believe that. I believe you all want to to worship God. You all want to, to believe that there's something you have that God wants, right? And you're like, God, you know, how can I bless you? How can I love you? What can I give to you? That, that's, that's something that's in the deep part of our heart. God, what can I give to you? Because I'm so thankful. I want to worship you. And I, I just want to use my life to please you. And we, we focus on that part of it so much that we forget that there's context for our worship. There's a place for our worship. Now, your place for your worship is everywhere you are at any given time. But he says that your, your worship actually finds its true context, its true place when you're in fellowship with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll give you an example. We've said this before, but if Jesus were right here, right here, right now, and said, anybody want a hug? Come on up. Do you love me? Show me you love me. We would run and say, Lord, can we hug you? Lord, can we put money in your pocket? Lord, can we, can we bless you? What can I do for you, Jesus? Can I wash your feet? Can I whatever? Can I wash your car? Whatever Jesus needed, we would give. Because we love him. So here's, here's what he says to us. He says, if you love me, here's how you love me. Because you can't just, and I, said, I know I said this a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, but you can't just throw your arms up and hug the sky. So how do you hug Jesus? How do you love Jesus? He says, hug one another, love one another. You want to give me money? Give it to somebody who needs it. You want to bless me, bless the people, bless my people. If you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. You find a a naked person that needs clothes, you know, and, and we're not literally going to find like a nude person running around, but you might find someone that doesn't have a winter coat that needs one. Put a coat on them and you've put a coat on me. Find someone that needs food, give them some food, you fed me. Find someone who's in prison and visit them. And whatever that prison looks like, whether it's literal prison or something else, visit them in that place. Don't make them come to you. You go to them, and you visited me. My worship finds its place in the fact that we're serving together. I love this. Let's just stop for a minute. He says he's a living stone. He's the cornerstone, right? So... We know how we line up based on how we're lined up with him. If we're lined up with him, we'll be lined up with one another. Well, sometimes we think we're lined up with him, right? We think we're lined up with Jesus, but you notice you're rubbing up against everybody weird. You don't get along with anybody. You're bumping up. You're like, am I the only one who's got it right? Am I the only one that's got revelation around here? Am I the only one that knows the day that Jesus is returning? Am I the only one? Oh, Lord, it's like the days of Noah. It's me and my family, and everybody else is going to be smoked. <laughs> right? I'm the only one that's straight in a crooked world, crooked church. Blah, blah, blah. Right? And you're just like, you're right. Mm. I found that a lot of times when you're bumping up against everybody, it might be proof you're not as aligned with the cornerstone as you thought. Those people help you find your place. doesn't mean they're always right. But do you believe the Spirit of God is living in that house? Do you notice what he said? He said, the temple of God is holy, and you're that temple. He was talking to people that were doing it wrong. Right? He was talking to people that just a few verses earlier, he said, you're a bunch of babies. You're acting fleshly. So if you're looking for the perfect group of people to fellowship with, you're trying to find the perfect church, good luck. Because he says... He says to a bunch of people who are messed up, doing it wrong, uh, living fleshly, he says, you're holy. Mm-hmm. He says, that group that God made, it's holy. So don't you dare destroy it. Oh, man. In fact, he says that over and over again. You know, that, that word building, there's a word that pops up over and over in the New Testament. Sometimes it's translated as building. Sometimes it's translated as edify or Edification. And it's just all about God's call to us to help build and build people. Because if, if you build people, if, if you say, if you, if, you, if you help build on to what God's doing, you, you join in his work in someone's life. Rather than always tearing them apart, if you're building into them, you're speaking words of grace, then what's happening? That, that it's, it, you may think you're just helping build one person, but you're really, it's the church of God that's being built up. Remember, in Ephesians 4, it tells us that we're growing up into him. It goes on in Ephesians 4 and says, Don't let any unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word that is good for building up, for edification, that that imparts grace to the hearer. What's he saying? Your words could build what God's building. Your words could find someone that's a little, the reason they're not fitting, the reason they're struggling to fit with the other stones is that they're so broken and cracked and and crumbled that, that they're not able to support anybody else but themselves and they're barely doing that. So what do you do? You come with these words of life that God gave you. Remember James said your words, your words are the great rudder for the ship. He, your words, he says, you could either use them as a fountain of blessing or a fountain of cursing. So if there's power to bless, if there's power to give life, if there's power to build, he says you can find someone that's crumbling, and the re- they're crumbling, and every relationship in their life is crumbling, and you come in and you begin to just, instead of saying, I'm Mr. Fix-It, I can fix you, you speak words that minister grace to the hearer. What is grace? It's what God can do that you can't do. You begin to speak to them in a way that goes beyond what you just see about their life that's wrong. You begin to speak in a way that's going to bring God back into the situation. You remind them who they are and you remind them who he is. Something's happening. I want to go back to what he said. We're not the only living stones. He says Jesus himself is the best of all the living stones because he's the cornerstone. You know, you'll notice and a lot of the illustrations in the Bible that Jesus is not separated from us. Like he doesn't get a different class. He's so often included, includes himself in us. He's the firstborn amongst many brethren. That's right. right? He is the head. We're the body. So he's connected to us. Here, he calls himself a stone just like us. But he's the chief cornerstone. He's the, he's the foundation of all of it right? He's not separate from the building. He's part of the building. He's, he's just the most important part. And listen to what it says about him. It says he was choice. It says he was rejected though, rejected by people, despised. What does that mean, despised? Nobody thought it was worth anything. He is the stone that they threw away. You know, when they're building buildings, that foundation stone was important. You would look for a perfect stone, a, the, the best stone, and you would make it work, you'd make it fit. You might have to chip some parts away, but that stone was the most important stone in the whole building, the cornerstone. And you know, you would, if someone brought you one and said, what about this, and you didn't think it was cut out for the job, you'd say, no, not that one. Let's pick another one. The, the crazy thing is, is that Jesus was the stone rejected by the builders. That's interesting because you say, well, isn't God the builder? God the builder. (laughs) Yes, we can. Isn't God the builder? Well, apparently, there were people involved in building that didn't know how to build. And it says he was the stone that the builders just said, nope. John says he came to his own, but his own rejected him. Right? He was rejected. But he says he was rejected and despised, but he was choice and precious in the sight of God. Can I just tell you something? You all of us at some point of our life have come to this thought I don't think I'm who God needs for his building. I don't, think I'm, I don't think I fit like these people fit. I don't think I'm the kind of quality he needs because you know what? He's building a temple. He's building a movement. He's building a body. And, and I don't know how I fit and I don't think I'm good enough. I'm looking at these people and they're better than me. They're, they're smarter than me. They're more loving than me. And you know what? I don't know how I fit into that because I'm not that person. And I want you to hear something. You have, may have been rejected, And despised by everybody who's ever looked at you. But you are choice and precious in the sight of God. And even if you're the stone that people threw out, He's able to make you fit. Because He knew before you were born where you fit. In fact, I believe, I believe that before you were ever born, he delighted in the fact that there was no one who fit in that spot quite like you. Doesn't mean there's no work needing to be done. We all got to be chiseled in the, smoothed out in the rough spots, chiseled in the jagged places, and that's God's refining work in us, and that's us and each other. Remember, iron sharpening iron. As we, as we get up next to people we don't quite fit, the fact that you stick it out and you keep saying, I'm, I'm not going to let make this be the thing that causes me to run away and find people I just naturally fit with. I'm going to stay here and say, if God put me here, he can make me fit. And sometimes his process of making you fit is that grinding up against people you don't like. As you learn to love them, I should say choose to love them. Mm-hmm. You learn to love when you choose to love, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the other way around. You can't learn to love in a book You can't learn to love in a class. You can only learn to love by choosing to love and living that out. As that happens, rejected stones, stones that didn't cut it, stones that the other people weren't looking for, maybe the kind of person that walks into the door and no pastor rejoices to see them. (laughs) Try not to make eye contact with any of you. Because I think you guys are all all-stars. <laughs> but uh, God's going to bring people in, that, in those doors. And maybe it's not those doors. Maybe it's the doors of your living room. Maybe it's the doors of your business. Maybe it's, maybe it's a home group. But God's going to bring people into the group, into your life, that don't fit with anybody. In fact, we feel like we fit better when they're not around. The whole building works better when they're not around. You notice he treats babies and adults different. That's right. When you got someone who's mature and it's causing division like that, they need, some, they, need, they need to come to a place of repentance. But you know, when someone doesn't know better, bless their hearts, thank God they're there. Right? I mean, you don't get mad at babies for doing baby stuff. It's just baby stuff. They, that's where someone needs a little help, needs a little love, needs a little grace. Build them up where you see some weakness. Build them up. Instead of just pointing out the weakness, why don't you build them in that area? Why don't you speak some words of grace in that area? Because, hey, where does grace abound? It abounds where we miss the mark. It abounds where we fall short. It abounds in our weakness. That's where the power of God's going to show. So, in fact, we don't need to be so worried about our weakness because that's the perfect place for God to show off. We come into a church and we're trying to hide our weakness. I try to hide all the spots that we don't fit. But if God lives in the building, then I believe his spirit's not just inside the walls, it's through the walls. It's filling gaps. It's working its way through the stones. If you let yourself treat this as holy. Don't treat it holy just as holy on a Sunday morning. Because it's easy to treat the church as holy on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is set up that way. We have moments where we're quiet. We have moments where we sing and we pray. We have moments where we hear the word. It's pretty easy to be holy today. You're walked through it like a toddler. Show me that, though, on a Tuesday night. Show me that at work. Show me that when you feel guilty for texting someone that you're going through a hard time because you know they're busy, let me tell you something. God is in that building. Let him dwell in that place. Let him dwell in that place where you're connected with people even when it'd be easier to disconnect. God lives in the building. God's spirit dwells in the temple. And he says, don't ever tear it apart. In fact, Paul said one time, he was talking about Gentiles and Jews eating together because he said God broke down the walls. When Jesus died on the cross, he broke down the wall between me and God, and he broke down the wall between me and you. And he says, you guys should be able to eat together. And he says, if you don't eat the same thing, fine. He says, is it worth tearing down what God built for the sake of food? Right? What? Is it worth it for the sake of some food? It's not worth it. Well, you do just substitute our own little petty issues in there, don't we? Right? Because we, we don't have a problem eating non-kosher. I'm not going to leave Nick because he eats shrimp. Or you because you put pineapples on pizza. Okay, all right? We're fine. We're fine. We can live through this. We'll survive this little storm. So food's probably not our issue. You know, food was their issue because it was a Jew and Gentile thing. Can we just, can we just read that verse and, and be brave enough to apply it to our life? Instead of just saying, I don't have a struggle with that. Of course you don't. You live in Canada. We eat everything pretty much. So what what are our petty little issues that we throw in there? And maybe they do you know what? Petty little issues never seem petty to the people that care about them. Do you know how mad one of those Jewish believers would have gotten at me if I called it a petty little issue? They'd be like, this is a major issue. This is the issue. You're talking about honoring God. So what are the issues that cause us to break fellowship? And he says, don't let anything cause you to break fellowship. Because he says, is it worth tearing down what God built for that? Oh, probably not. It's just so much more comfortable when I don't have to deal with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. God, God doesn't really want you to be comfortable like that. Because as long as you're staying in a a rut where you're comfortable, how many of you guys know it's really hard to move a parked car? It's hard to steer a parked car, isn't it? You want God to steer your life? Keep moving. Keep growing. Keep moving forward. Even when you'd rather just stay camped out, we found the perfect parking spot. I want to stay here. Don't stay there. I, I remember in school, I'll close with this. I remember in school getting to the points where I finally found the clothes I liked. I like, this is my year. I don't know if you remember showing up on the first day of school and going, this is my year. I am fly. I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself with that word. But, you know, I got it. I, got, I remember. And, and I'm not, I remember if I were to go back and try to wear those clothes today, it hmm. wouldn't work. You can't get stuck in a moment where things seem to be fine. God wants to grow you. And growing you means you'll have to get new clothes. You'll have to learn new things, and you'll have to love new people. But God wants to grow you so he can grow his church. I just want to say, so you understand, I believe God will bring people who just get, I believe God's going to save some people through you. And they're going to come, and they're going to join this group, and we're going to love them. But when I say the church needs to grow, numbers aren't the first thing I'm talking about. The first thing I'm talking about is God grow you, that we would grow up into him. See, if we don't grow up, then God help us, please don't grow by numbers because we wouldn't be able to handle it. You would grow really tall without roots to hold you. And the first time a storm comes, the whole thing's coming down. It's going to crash on the garage. It's going to cause a lot of damage. We need to, God to grow us so he can grow the ones around us. Stand up with me. We're going to just pray.